You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. And welcome back to the Matchday FM podcast. You're listening to the latest episode of Prem Talk, the podcast that goes to the heart of all the talking points from the latest round of matches in the Premier League and looking ahead to another great weekend. Is myself, Joe Richardson, and I'm joined by Chris Stott, who's on punditing duty this week, doing us his best Gary Neville impression. How are you, Chris? I am good, mate, and hopefully I can live up to that high expectation you just placed. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, uh, depends what you think of Gary Neville's uh, points of view. Very true. Uh, so it was a eventful week in the Premier League, just gone. Seems like quite a while ago, but uh, on last Saturday, uh, Crystal Palace beat Tottenham, who were unbeaten going into that game, three nil. Uh, their North London rivals Arsenal fared a little bit better getting their first win of the season against Norwich by a goal to nil Brighton uh, got a good win away at Brentford Manchester City beat Leicester in a a tricky game which they uh, just about scraped over the line Manchester United were emphatic 4-1 winners over Newcastle it was goalless between Southampton and West Ham Wolves got their first win of the season 2-0 away at Watford Chelsea beat Aston Villa 3-0. The juggernaut rolls on for them. It was one game on Sunday and it was an eventful one as well between Leeds and Liverpool. But Liverpool coming out 3-0 winners in that one and their Merseyside neighbours Everton rounded off the weekend on Monday night with a 3-1 win over Burnley. Uh, But Chris, there's only one place to start and that is uh, Old Trafford where we saw the return of Cristiano Ronaldo. You talked about it in the previous podcast, but... uh, he started. Uh, there were some uh, doubts. I don't know who by it. it seems stupid now thinking about it as to whether he would start. Uh, but he started and scored twice. Uh, I don't think we're very surprised, are we? Um, it was. Uh, it was. It was some day as the, as a United fan yourself, you must have been. Uh, well, you, you couldn't believe it, really. Yeah, I think it was as good a return as could have hoped for from the the man, the myth, the legend, um, to, to score twice in an emphatic win um, at home as well, just to sort of keep that momentum going of scoring plenty of goals at home in particular. Um, and, you know, he's, he's come back such a different player. You know, remember him at United first time around, out wide, all the tricks, um, you know, the blistering pace on the counter-attack. It's a different type of player now. He is, like um, they were saying on Monday Night Football, he is very much a number nine these days. And, you know, he's right up there still with the very best, isn't he? And, yeah, the first one's a tap-in, but the movement to get the tap-in, nobody else United scores that goal. Maybe Cavani's on the same sort of wavelength, but um, Martial doesn't score that, for example, even though it is, like say, a tap-in. And again, the, sec- the second goal, the acceleration. Um, as soon as he got in between the defenders, though, you knew it. If the pass is half decent, he's getting the goal. Um, so, all in all, very positive return. And it's whether he can kick on. I know he scored again in midweek, even in defeat. So he's got three in two games 
I mean, he's 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 keeping up his numbers, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, some would go, "Are you surprised by that?" And most would go, "No, that's that's par for him, really." To three and two games, so um, fully expected to sort of keep at that sort of ratio for a, for a good while yet. Oh, he's just a he's just a freak, isn't he? And I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, it, it's 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 hard not to uh, not to not like Manchester United. But uh, even as a neutral watching it on um, on Saturday, I, I was I was it, it it just brought back all the memories, didn't it? Nostalgia, really, of, of how you when you love when you fell in love with football, and uh, you know, I I fell in love with Ronaldo when he first came to United with his kind of curly hair and. Doing all the tricks and that, I, I, I've always been a, you know, the age-old debate. I've always been a messy man personally, but uh, Ronaldo, you just have to just, you have to love him really for for what he's what he's become. Uh, this absolute freak, the, the, the just the the ultimate ultimate athlete is what I'd what I'd describe him as. Um, just uh, just a, a brilliant brilliant player, and he proved that. Um, and United, obviously, very uh, very lucky to. To have him, what kind of an impact is he going to have on on the rest of his uh, of his teammates? Do you reckon um, the likes of Bruno Fernandes has been, or Bruno Fernandes has been a, a, a vital player for United? Do you see his um, impact lessening somewhat, or is he going to get the best out of the rest of his uh, attacking players? I think also, you know, in an ideal world, world you'd like to think that if Bruno Fernandes keeps up the level he was performing at. And have somebody like Ronaldo on the end of all those brilliant passes he's capable of playing, then the results will only be a big thing. I think luckily um, they they have played together ultimately at, um, at, at international level, so they have a bit of an understanding already. So I don't think that's going to be too far down the line to sort of really click in. We've seen glimpses of it already, which is quite exciting. But I think what Ronaldo does for the rest of the squad is he sets the bar higher than he's ever been before in terms of this is the level you have to reach. And we've seen we've seen it with, with Portugal, don't we? The fact that he drags average players up to his as close to his level as they physically can get. You know, a bang average Portugal team won the Euros um in 2016. Weirdly had a better team for the next two tournaments and weren't able to um, do the same thing um, but Ronaldo just does that he demands that his standards are met he's similar to sort of like a, a Roy Keane in, in that respect that he expects everybody to you know be doing the same things uh, I think it was um, Lee Grant who's done an interview this week saying that players have noticed Ronaldo's diet and they're like oh because he's doing that I'm going to pass on the chips sort of thing Um and I think that is such a good <laughs> standard to set. And it is the model professional, as you alluded to. Um, and it can only be a good thing to be in an environment where you've got somebody like that. And when you've got your young players like Mason Greenwood, who long-term will probably be Manchester United's number nine, if he does stay in, in that central position, which I think for me would be a good option going forward. He's going to learn so much in terms of the movements. He was learning so much anyway from Cavani, but there's an extra dimension now, which it can only be good for the younger players. And I say it's going to drag 
surely he's going to drag Pogba up as well. Um, and I think we've seen that pre-Ronaldo anyway, start of this season. But Pogba's performing better now as well. So the signs already, early days, of course, are rather promising in terms of Ronaldo's impact. Just just going back to Saturday and um, and something that I, I wanted to pick up on was 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 the atmosphere at Old Trafford. I mean, uh, you'll have gone to uh, many games in, in recent times where, you know, I, I would probably say that there's been quite a lot of apathy, really, amongst uh, the United fans under the, the different regimes. Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a club legend there and you'd say that the atmosphere in the last couple of years has been uh, has been a, a bit better than it would have been under you know Mourinho and Louis van Gaal but uh, you know the 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 returning ronaldo there must have just been i don't know if you were around in and around the city on um, on saturday but there just must have been some buzz in the city itself and then in the ground i don't think i've heard a roar at the stretford end like it for for a good while when his uh, when his second goal went in yeah, I mean, sadly, I was at work. Um, so, um, but I actually, what I did was avoided all um, communications, which is very hard when you work in football. Um, so I could watch it on the on the rerun. But did you, uh, did you manage yeah, that? Yeah, just about, just about. Um, but from what I've heard from, um, you know, people who were there, I know quite a few people who were lucky enough to to be there and not have to pay a ridiculous amount to be there as well. Um, they all said it's right up there with the, one of the best occasions they've experienced at Old Trafford. Um, like I said, that first goal, um, one lad at work, um, timed his, his run to the to the bathroom slightly poorly and almost missed, <laughs> missed oh, the crucial wow. moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think anybody who was there will tell you it it was one of the great atmospheres um and it even came through on on the tv sometimes it gets lost in translation that doesn't it this is one of the rare occasions it very much didn't and i think that magnifies how special a moment it was because I, I think there was always a danger of it just being a bit of a damp squib and just anti-climax to throw another cliche in there um and it, on another day, it could have been with the chances Newcastle passed up, but it went to script <laughs> for once. Yeah, well, when uh, Javi Bankio equalised, it looked like um, the bubble was going to yeah. burst. A man who never scores. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, there we go. Um, yeah, the uh, the atmosphere certainly came through well on my uh, in the Irish pub I was in in Granada on Saturday. So, uh, yeah. Very nice. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed it a lot. So that was uh, that was United. And now moving on to uh, reflect a little bit more on on last week before we get into the meat of, of this weekend, which was uh, the game on Sunday between Leeds and Liverpool. Talking about ferocious atmospheres, Chris. Uh, this certainly was that um, at the start of the game, at least uh, until Liverpool really put in what was a, a, an exceptional performance, really, uh, under the circumstances. I think we were all expecting uh, Leeds to make it incredibly difficult for Liverpool. And obviously Leeds eventually going down to 10 men, but firstly on, on Liverpool's win, uh, you'd have to say that that was uh, a very clinical performance where they, they took the sting out of the game and, and really bossed it. 
I think his away performances at a, you know, a rival club, Leeds are a, a rival of Liverpool back from the old days, especially um, in that sort of atmosphere. Biggest game been played in front of fans there for a long, long time. They just sort of uh, sapped the energy out of the crowd, didn't they, with the way they started the game. Um, came out on the front foot, took control comfortably in the end. And as away performances go, it was absolutely spot on. I've, you know, I, at the start of the season, I thought Liverpool might have stood still in terms of, you know, weren't any real major signings other than Canate. Um, they were very similar to how they were last season. But yeah, it's right up there with one of the best performances of the season for me um, from them in all the circumstances surrounding it yeah I thought I thought they were excellent really it pains me to admit it but um yeah I, I thought they were brilliant I think all those superlatives coming to it they were they were top draw well who, who are you paying more by Leeds or Leeds or Liverpool <laughs> I mean Leeds were a bit of a letdown um because yeah. I tipped them to win didn't I um but yeah I, I Liverpool was so good. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I I just thought the emotion of the atmosphere would make make mm. it such a difficult game for for Liverpool. And you know, we know what Leeds can do. Um, I, I, I've heard some people say they worry about Leeds now. I still don't buy into that. Anybody can get turned over by Liverpool in in that form. And Leeds have had an awful start in terms of fixtures. Um, not had an easy game. Easiest on paper, you'd say, is Burnley away, which we know is a tough one. So I don't think we can read too much into that. But on the flip side, for Liverpool to go there and win comfortably, I think it's a little bit of a statement. Yeah, I, I was, I was just more impressed, really, with uh, with how they took control of the game in midfield. And uh, Fabinho, obviously, we know his qualities, and we know the qualities of of Thiago. Uh, in midfield, but I, I thought he he was the calming influence, wasn't he? Mm. Like you know, in in that kind of game, you, you need someone to put their foot on the ball and really control the game, and he did that. And that that's what I want to see from him this season. Uh, he I don't know, he didn't really um, didn't really do that at, at, at times last season, but I, I think this year for him is 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 a big one, and uh, I, I think uh, that is more like the Thiago that we know from Bayern Munich and. The player that we will see more this season. Yeah, I, I think he's one of a few players who have had that first season to sort of bed in and have started this season a lot better, similar to sort of Kai Havertz, where they probably just needed that season to get themselves bedded into the squad, get the feel of the Premier League, and have really kicked on. Um, like you, I fully expected Thiago to come into the Premier League and boss it because we know he's such a good footballer. We're starting to see that now. It was underwhelming last season. He's performing this. One of the milestones uh, that was brought up in that game was uh, Mo Salah opening the scoring and registering his 100th goal to join the Premier League 100 club, uh, taking 161 games to score uh, those 100 goals, just one less uh, than Thierry Henry. Um, Stott, just put into some context uh, the player that Salah has has become for Liverpool because this isn't just, um, you know, a flash in the pan, really. You know, when when he was bought by Liverpool from Roma, uh, not, it wasn't um, 
raised eyebrows, but we were thinking, was this guy who'd already played in the Premier League really going to boss it and score 25, 30 goals a season? But he is that player now, and um, he's just absolutely integral to this Liverpool team. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you said there. I didn't expect him to come in and be a 25-goal-a-season attacker. Um, but he has been for every season. He's been superb. Again, he's got so much ability. And he's one of those where you know exactly what he's going to do, but you try and stop it. He's, it's that ability to, when he comes, dips back inside, to just you know quickly get it out of his feet and just whip it in, in the top corner um, from anywhere on the park, really. Um, that's uh, something we see him do so often. And he, you know, he can score the scruffy goals as well. Um, he's got good movement. He's got good pace. He's got a bit of everything. Um, he's got great upper body strength as well um, for a player of his sort of stature. He's been a revelation really for, for Liverpool and he's been an important cog in that attacking prowess that they've had for recent years um, and a big part in why they've won trophies. Scores goals in big games at crucial times. Yeah, he's right up there with with the top players, um, you know, not just currently playing in the Premier League, but you have to say he's right up with up there in, you know, top 10, 20, who's, who's played in the 30 years of the Premier League. Um, I mean, to get to it in 100 in 161 is a really brilliant rate, especially when he's not played centrally as well. So coming in from... From the wing makes it, you know, an extra special achievement. And what the company of names is in there speaks for itself. Um, I mean, see, Alan Shearer is at, at the top, who's just absolutely his stat was ridiculous. Um, and then you know, yeah, it only took him 124 games to just uh, ridiculous. Yeah. Goals. And when you think he was played for Blackburn, for the majority of those was incredible. And then you know, you're talking Kane, Aguero. You know, we, we are talking the best strikers that's ever played in the Premier League and Salah is very much in that conversation for me. Yeah, indeed. And uh, I, I think I think we have to make the point that um, he's kind of uh, carrying that front line at the minute. Obviously, uh, the two the two lads alongside him who've, who've been so prolific uh, in the last few years, Mane and, and Firmino. Mane, especially on... Well, Firmino didn't play uh, or hasn't been playing so far this season. But Mane had about eight, seven or eight chances. I think it, I think the stat popped up at the end of the game that he'd had more shots than leads. Um, he eventually did get his goal. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, he seems to be still you know, struggling for a little bit of confidence. Um, so yeah, at, at the moment, they are really reliant on Salah to deliver those goals. Yeah, I, I think... That is a, a slight weakness they have this season. But the thing is, you, you can't see Salah going on a run for too long where he, he doesn't score a goal. It's like two or three games usually, isn't it? And then he'll come back and score a hat-trick or um, something like that. And, you know, we know Mane can, once he gets his, his form, will probably get on the roll again. For me, no, I, I've never taken two as a goal scorer. Um had a couple of seasons where he's got decent numbers, but hasn't, you know, been prolific. It's been the two either side of him, really. Um, 
Hotter's done okay. Um, again, he's another one that um, hasn't really totally found his feet. I think he's got a couple this season, though, hasn't he? Um, or at least back end I of last season. I think well. he's doing. I think, I think he's, he's doing, doing well. okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, you know when you compare who plays it in the middle of a front three, Liverpool are probably shorter, but they make up for it by the fact that Salah's banging. He, you know, he's on course for twenty twenty five again, which mm. you know, if you've got one player who gets that and another two or three get into or close to double figures, you're going to be there or thereabouts if you're keeping clean sheets. So. I, I think, you know, they're, they're getting enough goals and they're not conceding many because they've got such a good no. defence as well. So No, that 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 is that is a key, key point. I mean, that defence is absolutely formidable. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they the win for Liverpool was marred by a shocking injury for uh, young Harvey Elliott, which you have to say was just, just a horrible thing to see. Um, wasn't the best of tackles from Pascal Stroke. For me, it wasn't a red card, um, but I was I more felt for the lad really because mm-hmm. you know he'd started the season so well um, for Liverpool. Young young lad who'd, who'd obviously uh, played brilliantly in the championship for the last couple of seasons um, and has basically um, played his way into this brilliant Liverpool team. And uh, he was flying, and unfortunately, he's picked up this shocking injury, which uh, hopefully is isn't as serious as we first thought but it looks like he will be out of out of the team for a, a sustained period of of time and one hopes that it's not a not a career wrecker for him or doesn't completely derail him yeah i, I think the fact that he's he's still so young we saw it with like um aaron ramsey didn't we um he got a horrible injury young but bounced back i think what's lucky is the fact it's only a dislocation which you know, anybody who's had a dislocation of anything will tell you that, you know, there's no only about it. But if it's a if it's a break, then it, you know, it, it's even longer term. Um and you know, the fact that he is young um benefits him. Um so you know, I think he will recover, you know, and hopefully he might get back end of this season and because like I say he'd been superb, he'd not looked out of place alongside two top central midfielders um and in the top top team i think um you know that like you touched on the challenge is probably a yellow card at most certainly not a red for me he's one of those where i think the referee has seen it's a bad injury and reacted to that you know we we could have a big debate about you know the the incident itself but um you know yeah we'd be here forever but yeah i'm very much of the opinion it shouldn't shouldn't have been a red it certainly should not have been upheld um after an appeal had been put in especially when the Harvey Elliott's come out and like it weren't even a it was not a red card borderline not even a foul um so yeah that, that's a shame shame for, for Leeds because let's face it Pascal Stroud could be he'll be caught up about the fact that that's happened to somebody he he's tackled um and he will next time he plays might think twice about going in for challenge, um, which will affect his game um, and you know mentally as well. So you've got thoughts with him as well because it's never nice to accidentally do that to, to somebody. But obviously with with Harvey Elliott, um, hopefully he recovers well. Um, he's got a big big career ahead of him. You know, international honours. You know, very soon. 
for him. So fingers crossed he, he's, he's back and back to his best um, as soon as possible. You're listening to Matchday FM. I'm sure everybody who listens to this has seen, oh, I, I can't even bring myself to use the word football kit, the third shirt or top um, for for Manchester City. If you haven't seen it, it's basically what can only be described as a pyjama top. It's the worst football shirt I've ever seen. It's not even got a badge on it. Yeah, the, the badge is like in the background, isn't it, on the kit? And then yeah. repeating what it's... Um... I saw someone tweet that it was more offensive than the, the Super League idea, and I'd have to agree with that, to be honest. Maybe that's where all the um, the money that they should be signing on a strike has gone. Banter, debate, and the odd good point too, right here on Matchday FM. So, turning our attentions to this weekend, and uh, the action starts on Friday night with Newcastle against Leeds, and then we've got the likes of uh, Liverpool against Crystal Palace, Manchester City taking on Southampton. And then on the Sunday, a good good three games on Sunday, Brighton v Leicester, West Ham against Manchester United. And the big game of the weekend at 4.30 is Tottenham against Chelsea. And uh, Chelsea, of course, have already played Liverpool, one of the big so-called big four away from uh, home. And now they're playing up against uh, a Tottenham side, licking their wounds from a 3-0 uh, defeat to Crystal Palace in the league. We're not sure about their Europa Conference League Um match uh, that's playing on Thursday but uh, Chris how do you see this one uh, in terms of uh, how Spurs will try and go about uh, breaking down this uh, Chelsea team which looks pretty formidable at the minute yeah I think obviously we've already seen Spurs beat Manchester City so they know how to beat a big team and you know defend well enough to to get a result Um but Chelsea play completely different to, to Manchester City. Chelsea will wear you down. Um, and they are, you know, they've got a bit more strength and um, you know, the more imposing than, than Manchester City in that regards, because they've got Romelu Lukaku, who's like three men up top. Um, so that they'll ultimately use him as a battering ram at times. And that's going to be difficult for the centre-halves to, to deal with, um, in particular for the Spurs. We saw what Lukaku did to Arsenal. Um, it might be similar sort of tactics. Um, and But going the other way, Spurs do have, have quality, but they'll always be conscious of not committing too many forward because we know Chelsea are very good on the break as well. So, But they're going to have to if they're going to get anything because... Chelsea just don't concede goals, do they? Um, they have, I've said it a couple of times. The makeup of this team reminds me so much of that Mourinho one um, when he first came in. You know, they look like they're going to win every game one or two nil because they don't look like scoring and they take their chances because they got a bulldozer down the middle, uh, Drogba down Lukaku now. Um, you know, the Fleur players, um, whether it was Joe Cole, Ian Robin, uh, Frank Lampard. Now it's Kai Havertz is stepping up to the mantle um, and made to mount so many options in in that bit of the pitch. On paper, and according to UEFA, they've got the best central midfield pairing in the world. They've got so much going for them. It's difficult to see what Spurs can do to hurt them. Probably set pieces in the counter-attack themselves. 
with Son and Kane. Um, but it's, get, it's getting those opportunities to counter, isn't it? Um, it? It's a fascinating tactical battle because Nuno is obviously used to, you know, obviously when he was at Wolves, very much used to being um, whenever you're taking on a Chelsea, Manchester United, etc., of sitting off and trying to hit them. So he knows how to do that and he's got better players to do it with. So it will be interesting. I expect Chelsea to be the ones pushing, um, you know, on the front foot despite being away. But yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. The fact it's a it's a London derby, obviously, throws extra into it, doesn't it? You know, I won't be surprised if Spurs got something though. The way they can um, approach it for me, it's all about how clinical Chelsea can be. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, both teams obviously more counter-attacking, but uh, I'd, I'd say I think Chelsea will probably uh, probably dominate the ball. I, pull you up on what you said about them not conceding goals. Actually, the uh, the Villa game that um, they played um, previously uh, um, in the uh, in the Premier League, uh, Villa created a lot of chances. But yeah. as a as a former goalkeeper yourself, uh, Edouard Mendy. Turned out to be man of the match. Um, we were a string of uh, excellent saves, and oh uh, well, yeah. So I, I was going to say, when when you say don't concede goals, and uh, your goalkeeper gets man of the match, mm. but you still get a clean sheet, that's pretty, um, that's yeah. pretty ominous, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, to fair, when I didn't know a lot about Mendy when when they signed him. You know, um, I'm sure other podcasters like Chris Coughlin, you, you know, he's mum's maiden name and stuff like that but um i re- i really like him i think he's a really solid goalkeeper um you know if not a little bit better than that um you know when chelsea are breached they need somebody behind same with any defense you need that good goalkeeper behind a, a good back four anyway if you're going to be anywhere near you know just thinking of of, of manchester united through the years they've all went you know, when they've been successful, they've had a, a top goalkeeper who very rarely has to do anything, but when called upon, makes the saves. All title winners have had it, you know. Uh, United have had Schmeichel, Van der Sar. Chelsea had Petr Cech for all those years. Um, City have got Edison. Um, Alisson for Liverpool. Kasper Schmeichel even for, for Leicester. They all make big saves at, at big times. And two or three times a season they'll win you a game, you know, get you that point for, for a nil-nil away from home, which in years gone by, you'd have lost. You know, yeah, Chelsea were able to do the business at, at the other end to, um, you know, make the scoreline a little glossier. But further down the line, it might be a case of they win a game 1-0, Mendy's made three or four top saves, and that could win you a title. Um, you know, Literally, a goalkeeper making a worldie could could be the difference between winning the league and not, especially this year with genuinely four contenders, could come down to the fewest mistakes by a centre-half, a goalkeeper. And Chelsea, on paper, have, you know, the the ability in those departments to, to make those key moments count. On, on on Mendy, I, when when I watch it, I, I was I was with you I, at the start of the season or 
you know, at the start of last season, I certainly wouldn't put him up there with the best keepers in in the completely the, the top echelons in the Premier League. But you have to now because I watch him and, you know, he doesn't look like he's going to make a, a mistake. It even, you know, he obviously plays uh, like all keepers do these days, playing, uh, he's very comfortable with his feet, playing the ball out from the back. And Chelsea have their wide centre-backs and I, they're, they're probably the best team at kind of playing through other t- other people's um, strikers. They, they seem to do it all the time. You, you try and stop them or high press them and they just break you every time. Uh, something that doesn't particularly get uh, talked about. But Mendy, I mean, yeah, I, I love I love Alisson, but for me at times he he can drop in a little bit of a little bit of a clang, a little bit of a, a ropey error, and I, I just don't see that with uh, with Mendy. So uh, yeah, I've been massively impressed with him. Yeah, definitely agree. Is is consistent, which is the bare minimum. Um, if your goalkeeper doesn't make a a howler. All season, you can, you know, you're going to get away with it. I think um, so. That is is dependable, which is um, something they've not had really for for a few years. Because um, even Courtois would occasionally throw in the odd one, wouldn't he? Um, obviously, the ads Kepper. Um, less said about him, the better, really. Um, but yeah, Mendy now looks like a very competent goalkeeper and a reassuring presence at the back, which is always a, a good thing as well. Yeah, he looks very, very impressive, as do Chelsea. Uh, before we do our awards, Chris, uh, anything else catch your eye this weekend as uh, as, as games that you, you really want to watch? Yeah, I think there's a, a, a couple of intriguing battles, actually, I, I think Brighton against Leicester is quite interesting because of the fact that Brighton have started so well and this is a good test for them. And Leicester have sort of been hit and miss, haven't they? I think they've had uh, two wins, two defeats. So, I thought they were the, quite unlucky against Man City. Yeah. Highlights, yeah. I, I think it will, you know, whoever comes out of that with the win, you go, okay, right, get a bit of momentum. I, but I've been really impressed with Brighton. Um, they still aren't like prolific in front of goal, but they've sorted the back line out, um, which is really good for them. And then I'm looking at Norwich Watford. I think mm-hmm. Norwich have been um, had done to, haven't they, with the fixtures. It's, I can't re- remember many more difficult starts to a campaign. Um, you know, only getting beat 1-0 by Arsenal. Um, before the season, probably looks like a half-decent result, but, you know, given how Arsenal will play been playing maybe Norwich might have fancied that um, mm-hmm. but yeah this this is the one for them and said they've got to start their season with this uh, with this win um, but yeah I, I, I'm looking at them and Newcastle leads on, on Friday similar to uh, for Newcastle I think that's fallen into a must win game for Newcastle as well already already must win five weeks into the season yeah, I think uh, it's because and- of the unrest as well um, mm. I don't think Bruce has got many many more defeats in him. Mm. And what about the relegation six-pointer between Burnley and Arsenal? Burnley have been have been really, really bad so far, but you can you could easily see them uh, getting into Arsenal's faces and uh, yeah, I mean, making it very, very difficult for them. I would not be surprised. Um, <laughs> it's the sort of get you don't think that Arsenal have the stomach for uh, a rainy day in Burnley 
I've, you know, I've not seen the forecast, but it could Check's well rain. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's the sort of game you don't, you always think whenever Arsenal are in a bad run of form, it's not one they fancy. And uh, Burnley are going to absolutely pepper those centre-halves and the keeper with balls into the box, aren't they? You know, Goodmanson's going to take one touch and just whip it every single time. Because uh, I thought they were okay against um, Everton for spells and they just had 10 minutes collapse, didn't they? So, um, yeah, that's a, it's a fair. That, 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 I mean, that could well be last time match of the day, but it could be a 1 0 Burnley that one. Uh, well, we shall wait and see. So it's uh, time to wrap it up and uh, look at where our awards are going for uh, this. Last week in the uh, in the Premier League, and uh, I'll start with your player of the week, uh, Chris. It's got to be Ronaldo, really. He scored two on his debut. Um, yeah, honourable mention for Edwards. He played ten minutes, scored two goals. First one after twenty eight seconds. I mean, it's not a bad innings, that is it? Um, but I, I think yeah, Ronaldo two goals on his return. Uh, with everything that goes with it, it's got to be Ronaldo for player of the week. Yeah, fair enough. I'm not going to take it away from you, but uh, I'll, I'll say Zaha in that Palace game was uh, really was outstanding. Tore Jaffet Tanganga to bits and uh, he eventually got sent off. Uh, what about your team of the week? Mine would uh, probably be Palace, I think, on reflection. Yeah, I think Palace is a good shout. Um Nobody, I think Liverpool's a good shout as well, um, mm. as we touched on. Yeah, so I think we'll we'll split that one. Uh, if you go Palace, I'll go Liverpool. Well, no, I'll, I'll actually I'll I'll go Liverpool actually, and um, and I'll put my manager as Patrick Vieira, give him some uh, some air time because uh, he's he's just come off the back of uh, a three 0 win over over Spurs, which is not to be sniffed at, and previously. He got a, a point away at high flying West Ham where they could have won. So uh, his methods are starting to to take a bit of effect. Yeah, I, I'm I'm liking um, Palace under Vieira. I, th- I think they were a lot more watchable than they had been previously. You know, I I couldn't really watch Crystal Palace. Um, it just yeah, it wasn't great football. They they're having a go now. Even when they've been beaten, they've been you, you could see what he's trying to do there. And I think, yeah, I think Vieira is a good shout um, for manager of the week. Special mention to Rafa. Um, again, he's fallen behind to, to Burnley. Um, little tactical tweak, scored three goals in, in six minutes. Um, so fair play to Rafa, who started really well at Everton. They look half decent. Goal. Well, I think we'd probably have to go back to that game at Goodison Park and uh, Andros Townsend's absolute spectacular goal. What a goal that was. Oh. He's thing is, with Andros Townsend is, I don't think he's ever scored a tapping. Every goal I've seen him score <laughs> is genuinely a goal of the season contender. I remember the one he scored for, for Palace City. Which is City, genuinely yeah. one of my favourite goals I've ever seen. The way he yeah, hit that was real, unbelievable. Uh, but this one, yeah, he's it, one of those players. He's always had the ability to cut in and just absolutely wallop it into the top corner from anywhere. Um, you know, I I've always liked him as a footballer because of that. That you know, 
he always expected to just come in and hit it. Um, he did it, you know, when he um, broke into the England team, I remember him scoring a couple, couple of great goals then. But yeah, he's, he's good value for a good goal, is Andros. Um, I think Bruno Fernandes would be second. His goal was, um, you know, from range again, another good strike. But yeah, Townsend's. That's going to be right up there come the end of the season, you know. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, yeah, probably, probably getting for, getting for, like get, uh, getting the shortlist. Yeah, getting the shortlist. Yeah, I think. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there were any uh, good team goals, but I, my, my eye is drawn to uh, Lukaku's, um, <sighs> Lukaku's goal. Uh, before you say it, but Lukaku's goal for Chelsea, where he chops inside and then. Yeah. plays it in I, I absolutely love it I mean what a player he is it like yeah. you, you don't always um you don't always think he's the most graceful of footballers but you know <laughs> the power and then the chop and then the finish I just love that Brilliant. yeah it, it, he's it's a different beast isn't he but to fair I just follow a good team goal I like Newcastle's goal um the way is it Almiron touches it away from I think it was Maguire with that uh, acceleration and Mankio comes from nowhere to to put it in I thought that was a, a good goal and shine of what Newcastle can do but they need to do a lot more than that I think oh yeah and uh, I think it was Wolves like Pedence like clips it does a brilliant bit of uh, skill clips it over the top of the goalkeeper and then they head it back and that was a good goal as well but yeah that was uh, the awards for the Premier League of uh, the Prem Talk this week and uh, my thanks to Chris Stott for uh, stepping in as pundit for uh, this week for us. And uh, yeah, so some intriguing matches in the Premier League as we uh, get into uh, the, uh, the the meat of the bone of this uh, Premier League season. I've been Joe Richardson and uh, we'll be back again next week for some more uh, podcasting. And uh, we shall look forward to your company then.